us for being here. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, please. We put all the hard chairs in the back, and still, people sit in the back. Look at the front rows, people. Nothing we can do. Acts chapter 6. We have had a few weeks off from the book of Acts. Pastor Levi had a couple weeks of uh, preaching and teaching here, and we're thankful for that. But this week we're going to get back into the book of Acts, and uh, I want to give a little bit of backstory and kind of catch you all back up again. But Acts is a book in the Bible that describes the acts of the apostles, the things that the apostles did through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're, it just reiterates all of those things through a great deal of detail and a great deal of time. In the book of Acts already, what we've seen is we're seeing thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It's really, honestly, it would be something really amazing to behold. They're seeing miracles happen. There's a lame man at the gate, beautiful, who is healed by Peter and John. People are being healed. Things are going really well. They're watching God do some absolutely amazing things. And they're watching God do it through them. I mean, God is using them in powerful, awesome ways. They are truly living out their purpose, which God gave them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That they should be witnesses of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the world. And so here, they are absolutely accomplishing their purpose. It is absolutely something spectacular to behold. But when there is great success in the work of the Lord, there will always be resistance from Satan. Mark that down, okay? When you see success in the work of the Lord, there will always be resistance from Satan. I don't know if you know this, but Satan does not want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Satan wants nothing to do with God. In fact, he wants you to be pulled away from God. And so he's going to do all he can to stop you from knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and to stop you from telling anybody else about him as well. He's going to do all he can. And so Satan is fighting hard. And Satan will do some pretty drastic things. If you'll remember, he starts off with what I like to call blunt force trauma. Okay? He tries to immediately get in their face and wreck what they are doing, and he brings persecution. He brings a great deal of persecution, and we see Peter and John and the other apostles being beaten, brought before the Sanhedrin, and and threatened, you better not preach in the name of Jesus Christ again. Peter and John basically say, hey, we're going to do what the Lord told us to do. You judge what we ought to do, but we know that we ought to do what Jesus has called us to do. And they're not hindered by this persecution, and they continue to preach. See, if Satan cannot stop the church from going forward, then he will try to infiltrate another way. The second thing we saw was in Acts chapter 5. We see Satan trying to pollute the church with sin and lies. Two people, maybe you know them, Ananias and Sapphira. They are 
in the church and they've committed to giving a portion, uh, they've selling a portion of their land and giving the proceeds of that to the church to help be dispersed among all the people who had need. They say we're going to give all of it and they only give part of it. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that they lied to the Holy Ghost. And they were punished for that. That lie was an infiltration of the church. They told a lie about the price of their land and that is promptly taken care of. And the church continues to triumph and to move forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you and I are sitting here and we're thinking about the book of Acts, we think about the triumph that's happening, we think, sweet, we have just defeated Satan in two of his attacks. We got him, right? Perfect. No problem. Everything's going smoothly now. We've defeated him twice. Now we can just relax. It seems that Satan has been silenced. But you see, Satan has three major areas that he rotates through in order to draw us away from our purpose. Three areas of attack that he rotates through in order to draw us away from our purpose. First John chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, watch this, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, we, we understand that Satan is the father of this world. And he's the one who wants to uh, accomplish these things. And I want you to notice these three things because if you pay attention in your life, just about every temptation that you have corresponds to these three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I want you to think back through everything I've already said this morning. The first thing that Satan tries is the lust of the flesh. How many of you want to stay alive? How many of you want to be beaten? Oh, good, nobody. All right, that's good. We're all on the same page then. Okay, our fle- we like our flesh. We like not being beaten. We like staying alive. We like treating our flesh really, really well. And so Satan attacks them with the lust of the flesh and says, listen, if you don't stop, we're going to beat you. If you don't stop, we are going to kill you. And I hope you know this, all of the apostles died a martyr's death. He attacked them with the lust of the flesh. And in just a little bit, we'll see that he attacks with the lust of the eyes in Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, I see this great riches that we can have, and I want that, and I'm going to take that. So he attacks with the lust of the eyes. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church has withstood persecution and pollution. They've withstood persecution and pollution. But now they will be faced with one of the most subtle of all the tools in Satan's arsenal. It's the final one. It's the pride of life. And we see it here in preoccupation. Not only have he tri- has he tried persecution, not only has he tried being polluted, he's trying now preoccupation. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, just stop there for a second, okay? And in those days, when the number of the the disciples was multiplied, 
Okay, if you stop there and you read, you just go, yeah, this is awesome. The number of the disciples is being multiplied. Everything's going really, really smoothly. Satan, you can't stop us now. Well, we continue. It says, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Like, when I read this, I go, seriously? Seriously? For lack of a better term, uh uh-oh, there's trouble in paradise. Everything is running so smoothly, yet there's trouble in paradise. Let's try to break this down a little bit to see if we can get some context as to what is happening. It's pretty obvious here that the Greeks are somewhat of the outsiders. Remember, they're in Jerusalem. They're here in Jerusalem. This is a Hebrew place. People have come from really, truthfully, all over the world. And so that's why some of the Greeks are there. But I want you to understand, the Greeks are somewhat of outsiders here. The Hebrews are the majority. And we understand from this passage that the Hebrew widows were being well taken care of. Very well taken care of. But the Greek widows are not having their needs met. Again, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. But I want you to notice the word murmuring. Murmuring. This is not just simply a complaint. Okay? People complain all the time. In fact, if I ask you how you're doing, you'll say, can't complain a lot of times. Nobody will listen anyway, right? We always say that. Okay, so this is not just a, I've got a complaint. This is a far deeper, more, more passionate word, and the Bible uses murmuring. This is a, let me put it to you this way, a begrudging complaint. A begrudging complaint. This wasn't a, hey guys, you know, we're having a little bit of trouble here. This is a, hey guys, what's the deal? You're widows are being taken care of and you are not taking care of our widows what what are you racist that's this kind of murmuring you're taking care of yours but not of ours what are we not good enough this is a extreme murmuring now i want you to look at the word neglected all the way down Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Again, this was not purposeful. Okay, this is is a passive verb. It's not a we don't like you neglecting. It was simply an oversight. We missed this. It's something that we've not seen. And right here, right now, Satan is working on the pride of life. The Greeks are saying, our people are not being taken care of. This is a national thing. This is a a patriotic thing. You're not taking care of our people. The pride of life. Let me stop right here and ask you a question. What would you do in a situation like this? What would you do? Don't read any further to find out what the apostles did. I'm asking you, what would you do? In a situation like this, I know what I would do, okay? And it's not necessarily what the apostles did. This, I would say something to this. Are you kidding? Haven't you seen the thousands of people being saved? 
Haven't you seen the miracles that have been happening? Haven't you seen what God has been doing in this place and you're going to bother us with a few widows? Like seriously? You guys really just need to get over this. That's probably how I would answer that. Maybe we'd say something to this. How selfish can you be? Can't you see we've got all these people to teach and preach to? Can't you see we've got all these people to attend to? And you're going to complain to us about a few widows? This is not about serving widows. This is about people coming to know Jesus Christ. Get over yourself. That's how I would answer. Maybe I've answered like that to you. Let me ask you a question. Would any of those answers solve the problem? No. Was there a problem? Come on, you guys got to talk to me. Wake up, all right? It doesn't solve the problem. Was there a problem? Yes. On the scale of one to ten, you don't have to answer this, but like, how big is this problem? You see, in the grand scheme of things, this problem is minute. But it leads to a problem far more incredibly serious than just a few widows being taken care of. You see, we're not just talking about widows being served. We're talking about the unity of the church. We're talking about the unity of the church. You see what Satan is trying to do here. Satan is not just trying to uh, distract just a little bit. He's trying to divide. He's trying to pull apart. He's trying to preoccupy everyone on something that is unimportant. And divide in such a way that would destroy the the church. Excuse me. Here's how else we might handle this. We might say something like this. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll take care of that right away. I'll take care of it personally. Because it's a big deal to these people, we'll take care of it personally. I'll make sure personally that it gets done. Now, would this take care of the problem? Yeah, probably would. Probably would take care of the problem, but it wouldn't take care of all of the problems that would come up. You see, God made us finite creatures, which means we're not infinite. As much as we want to think we are infinite, we are not. We cannot be everywhere all of the time. Would be nice, wouldn't it? Would be nice to be here and over here where you've got two contrasting things that need to be taken care of. Be so nice, but we're finite. We cannot do everything all of the time. Some of you may be sitting here saying, yeah, but I can do everything some of the time. That's probably not true either, but even if it is, the reality is not all the time. Here's the problem. If we think we can, that is our pride beginning to preoccupy us from doing something that is other than fulfilling our purpose. I want you just to picture this. I'm going to use myself as an example. You come to me and say, hey, our widows are being neglected. And I say, well, forget it. I don't care about you. Haven't you seen what the Lord's doing here at Bible Baptist? Like, get over yourself. How's that going to go for you? Not well, right? All right, let's take the other instance. Okay, no problem. I'll take care of that. And so every single day I'm out 
and I'm serving the widows and I'm passing things out. And then somebody else comes and say, hey, the seniors aren't being taken care of. And I go, oh, okay, I'm going to go take care of that. And I go over there and take that. And so they say, hey, what about our widows? You told us that the widows would be taken. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Doesn't work, does it? And again, I might be superhuman and might be able to take two or care of two or three of those things. But when four, five, and six comes, I'm tapping out. You can see how easily this would divide, how easily this would destroy a church. So let's ask ourselves the question, how is the problem solved? Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Again, notice their response is much different than my response. I'm the only one who gets to talk today, so maybe it's different than your response. Maybe we could say it like this today. If I was to put this in today's vernacular. Guys, we can't be distracted with serving tables. Our focus and our priority needs to be on prayer and on the ministry of the word. That's our focus. Let me ask you this question. Why would that need to be their focus? It's obvious that this, they said this twice in verse 2, we shouldn't leave the word of God to serve tables. And then in verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They found this as a very deep and serious need of the church. So I want you to notice, they didn't dismiss the Greeks. They also didn't uh, volunteer for the position. They said, listen, this problem with the widows is a very serious problem but it's not something that we need to leave the Word of God, which is our purpose, in order to take care of. Why would this need to be their priority? No doubt there are some, maybe in the congregation here in the book of Acts, and maybe in the congregation here today at Bible Baptist, would say something like this. Those lazy bums just want to sit around all day and do nothing. There is a ton of work to do here at the church, and all they want to do is sit around and do nothing. They should be the ones who are doing it. They're the leaders, after all. They should be accomplishing the work. But oh, how easily we forget. Oh, how easily we forget that not two chapters ago, they were praying, and when they prayed, the place was shaken. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all, what, filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did they do? And they spake the word of God with boldness. Oh, how soon we forget the power of prayer. You see, when we say these things and when we read this, we think, whoa, these guys should give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Pfft, big deal. 
you guys just want to sit around and do nothing all day. Reality is we forget about the power of prayer. You see, without prayer in the book of Acts, thousands upon thousands of people are not getting saved. Without prayer in the book of Acts, people are not being healed. You see, prayer is one of the most important things that we could ever accomplish in the church. Prayer. And they say, we're not just going to pray, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer. It's going to be our nine to five job to pray. We're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit come through. But you might ask, well, why is the ministry of the word so important? Okay, prayer, okay, you've convinced me of prayer. Why is the ministry of the word so important? Without the ministry and study and proclamation of the word of God, guess what? the church would end up straying from the truth. Again, in the book of Acts, they've just taken Jesus' teaching. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. They are not just a few months off of that. And their goal, their job, is to not only read and understand what Jesus Christ has said, but guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be writing the Scripture This is no small task. This is no little itsy-bitsy thing that we should be doing. This is serious. In today's society, again, if we're not careful, if we aren't studying the Word of God, if we aren't spending time in the Word of God, what will happen? We'll stray from the truth. The Bible says in John chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. It's the word that sanctifies us. It's the word that that moves through us and changes us and molds us into God's image. The word of God is our sole authority for faith and practice. Hear me, if we don't know what God's word says, then guess what we're going to do? We're going to stray from it. We're going to walk away from it. We are more likely to enter into false doctrine if we are not in the Word of God. Paul, in training his son in the faith, Timothy, one of the most quoted verses in Timothy is this, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto whom? Unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What? Serving Widows, no. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's your priority, Timothy. Here's your priority, Titus. Here's your priority, Epaphroditus. Here's your priority, guys. I want you to study the word of God. I want you to spend time in it. So you can see very quickly, hopefully, how Satan wants to attack the church by preoccupation and distraction. If Satan can distract the church, guess what he can do? He can water it down. And he can make it ineffective so that it's no longer a church, it's a social club. Remember, you remember what the church is, right? The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. 
We're supposed to be the place that's, that's holding the truth and proclaiming the truth. So if we're not doing that, we cease to be a church. We need to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. Word, excuse me. Does that mean we all, every single person who sits here today, we all have to take all of our time and completely give ourselves all to the word of God in prayer? Well, that would be nice. That would be nice if everyone did that. But can we be honest with ourselves this morning? That's not reality. This is really the first time in the church we see the delineation between two different offices in the church. Most commonly referred to in scripture as elders and deacons. I want you to notice the delineation, if you will. He says in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I want you to notice that these are extremely spiritual men. But notice what their job was to do. It was to provide for the physical needs of the church. Over this business. What business? The widows who need to be looked after. So there's one who is to provide for the physical needs of the church. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. One was to pray and minister in the Word. The other was to provide for the physical needs of the church. One is taking care of the spiritual aspects of the church, and one is taking care of the physical aspects of the church. Also notice, these two things are inseparable. These two things are inseparable. Notice, if these seven men did not provide for the physical needs of the church, don't miss this. If they would not have provided for the physical needs of the church, the gospel would not have spread throughout Jerusalem. It would not have. Notice with me in verse 7. After all of this, actually let's just read through it just so we get context. Verse 5, and the saying what? Please the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. We'll talk about Stephen in a, in a couple weeks. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. We'll talk about Philip in a couple weeks as well. And Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. By the way, most of these are, are Hebrews serving the Greeks. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Watch this. And the word of God did what? Increase. And the number of the disciples did what? Multiply. Didn't, it didn't add. It multiplied. In Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. If these seven men did not take care of the physical needs of the church, guess what? The church is distracted. 
The church is distracted. It needs to take care of the physical needs, but it also needs to take care of the spiritual needs. This was not a sign of weakness in the church. I'll be honest with you. When I cannot provide for all of your needs, you know what I feel? I feel worthless. It's just honest. When somebody calls me and says, hey, could you do this? And I say, I don't have time today. It bothers me. But you know what? To me, that's a sign of weakness. But in the Bible, it's not a sign of weakness. Here in the Bible, this is the sign of great strength. The apostles could have easily put a band-aid on the problem and fulfilled a short-term solution. They could have. But instead, remember, the unity of the church was at stake. This was not a band-aid solution. They needed something to fix this problem. And so they viewed this problem as so important that they said, look you out among you, seven men, full of the Holy Ghost, extremely qualified men to take on this serious job. This was not a sign of weakness in the church. This is a sign of strength in the church. Again, we see that these men were spiritual. Look at the qualifications in verse 3 again. Look ye out among you seven men of, first of all, honest report. Secondly, full of the Holy Ghost. Thirdly, and wisdom. Notice they don't, the apostles don't tell them what to do. They never do. So these men needed to have wisdom in how to take care of this. They need to be spiritual men because part of the physical needs of the church is a spiritual aspect. But these men were spiritual, wise, capable men. And they were placed in the church for a very specific purpose. We find out that they fulfilled their purpose. They fulfilled it and fulfilled it well. Let me be extremely transparent with you this morning. This is Pastor Levi in Aloma's last Sunday. As much as Pastor Holland and I want to be heroes and do everything, it's becoming extremely apparent that we cannot. We have approximately seven to eight small groups. There's only two of us. Here's what we need. We need some honest men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom to appoint over a work. That's what we need. Listen, I want to sit here and say, ah, we don't need them. We can handle it. We're men. That's what I want to say. But it's becoming extremely apparent that as much as we try to do that, Things are falling through the cracks, and I have no doubt some of you are frustrated at us. We need some men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom to appoint over this work. I want you to write this down. The strength of a church is not found in the strength of a pastor. It's found in the strength of its members. Again, this has become extremely apparent. Pastor Levi is an integral part of this church. 
His wife has given sacrificially to help in this church. God has called them away. So what happens? The church just crumbles, right? It's done. It ought not to be. I'll be honest with you. It's been awesome to see people step up into places of leadership and say, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Strength of a church is not found in the strength of the pastor because I am going to fail you. It's found in the strength of its members. Satan will try to distract us from the word and he's going to try to distract us from fulfilling each other's needs. We must do both. We must fulfill our purpose that God has placed us in this church to do. Final question is simply this. Will you surrender to God's purpose for your life? Will you be ready to take the word of God and study it, spend time in it and teach it? Will you be ready to help meet the physical needs of this church? I hope this will be a challenge to you and a help as we move into the next phase of our ministry here at Bible Baptist. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. Father, it is only because of your word, it is only because of you that any of us can stand here today. Father, we are at our very best dust. David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would we deserve any attention from you? Yet, Father, you've died on the cross for our sins. You've called us to be sons and daughters of you. Father, yet we're still finite. Yet we're still living in this body of flesh. And this arm of flesh will always fail us. But, Father, as a group, as a body, we can be here, ready to do what you've called us to do, to please not the pastor, but the head, Jesus Christ. We are not here just to fulfill a role that I have described. Father, we are here to fulfill a role that you've placed us here to do. Father, if there's one person here today that doesn't even know you as personal Savior, I pray today would be that day. But also, if there's one person here that doesn't know their purpose in life, I pray that today they would find out. Father, your will would be accomplished. Father, we'll ask all these things in your name.